Probably looks a little strange for me to share the message wearing a mask. And you might think, Ed, I think you're taking this a little more seriously than you need to right now. But I want you to know this mask represents a big part of our message today. And an argumentative Christian, we're gonna see this today, is just a proud sinner in a religious mask. Now, I'm not gonna wear this the whole time because it'll leave us with a muffled sound and more. But let's pray and let's ask the Lord's guidance on our message today. Father, may you open our hearts to what you have for us. May the words of James here written 2,000 years ago, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so deeply applicable to us, may it open our mind. May we take down that religious mask and ultimately focus on the grace that is given to us and even more grace given to us day by day. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, it's good to see you. I'm Ed Stetzer. We're in the book of James, as you probably know. If you're just joining us, haven't been here before, remember that all of our messages are found at moodychurch.org. You can go back and listen to all the past messages. And James is a book of the New Testament written by the half-brother of Jesus named James. And it does build on one another. We've actually spent the last few weeks looking through James chapter 3, which has to do with uh, the, what we say, taming the tongue. We've talked about wisdom from above last week. And today we're going to talk about actually some overcoming challenges, some quarrels that Christians maybe struggle with. Well, they struggle with them then or else James wouldn't have written it to them then and how we struggle with them today. And I'm, I'm convinced that ultimately that James, when he writes here, he wants to take your quarrels with people, bring them through your right relationship with God to move you from argument to humility. We're going to see how we move from argument to humility because it seems that people sort of enjoy a good fight. I mean, there wouldn't be a whole lot of television shows if we didn't enjoy a good fight. It seems every reality TV show is sort of created to create tension so that then people end up arguing with one another or even some talk shows we think about where people erupt in anger and angry discussions or just think about some news channels where it's just a never-ending example of people arguing with one another. And think about social media, internet trolls that constantly are in the midst of Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever else it may be. So James here is dealing with the issue of quarreling and ultimately goes from believers with quarreling, who quarrel and who have a habit of quarreling, and with one another to actually quarreling with God. This whole passage has kind of a fascinating arc to it. It's going to go from believers having quarrels to quarrels with God to how do you resolve the issues with God and then back to how do you resolve the issues with one another. And James here sounds a lot like an Old Testament prophet. And that shouldn't maybe surprise us. He's primarily writing to the uh, Jewish followers of Jesus at this point. And he talks about enemies of humanity, like, like our fallen nature, verse 1, uh, the world system, verse 4, and the devil, verse 7. We won't go into all of these things. What we want to see, it's a lengthy passage, what we want to see is how Jesus wants to move your arguments from humility to humility and unity, from argument to humility and unity. Let me read the passage and then we'll walk through it together. It's James chapter four, beginning at verse one, says this, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Okay, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly and spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? 
Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself the enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I want to start, not reading through the whole passage, but I want to start to give you a feel for where we're going. Because remember, James wants to take your quarrels with people, your quarreling nature, right? Bring them through your right relationship with God to move you from argument to ultimately humility. So we're gonna look at four things today and we'll walk through them one at a time. And the first number one in our outline is the root of our quarrels with people. Where do our quarrels with people come from? Okay, we just touched on it again, so I'll briefly address it again. It says, what quarrels and what causes fights among you? If it's not this, that your passions are a war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. There's a lot going on here, and we have to go through regularly, somewhat quickly, but there's a lot going on here. But James here is pointing us a better way, a different way, to move from argument to humility through our relationship with Christ. Now, it's kind of it's kind of fascinating how the passage goes because it seems that, it, I mean, imagine you're just reading this. And these would generally be read aloud because not everyone could read. And um, you're reading this, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Let's look at it back on the screen here, just the beginning part again. What causes quarrels and fights uh, among you, right? And, and, and is, it, is, is, is it not this? What passions are at war within you? And then it says here, right? So you murder. I mean, just think you're just kind of following along and all of a sudden the phrase, so you murder. And you're like, I I don't remember a murder. I don't remember that happening, but there it is, right? So you murder. Let's just put those words up on the screen for just a second. So you murder. And you're kind of like, well, that escalated quickly. I mean, how do we go from quarrels and fights to murder? Well, remember who's writing this. It's James, the half-brother of Jesus, who would have heard Jesus explain in the Sermon on the Mount that hate for your brother or sister is akin to murder. And so James goes right forward. It says, you murder, you desire to have, so you murder. The calm conversation turns very, very serious. That escalates pretty quickly as well. See, but when it comes to um, fights among believers, James pulls no punches. Pardon the, pardon the pun. Uh, he reminds us we live in a fallen word, world. We're all broken. And, and it seems that Christians of all people would never quarrel, but actually, And maybe in some way it should encourage you because James is writing to Christians who literally were within the lifespan of Jesus. You know, this is James's half, Jesus' half-brother. And so yet within that lifespan, they were already having quarrels within churches. Because I think sometimes people think that something magically makes Christians not quarrel. I don't know, maybe you walk into this building and I wish you were here and we will gather again. But you walk into this building and it's so beautiful and it's so, I don't know, it just has a certain sense of grandeur and, and, and a certain sense of, of awe. And you would think you go in here and all quarrels go away. Well, they don't. They don't. Actually, it can be even the seats that were in the very first time that Donna and I attended church here. We had somebody tell us we were, they were, we were sitting in their seats. And so, so, you, so again, maybe we missed the grandeur in the seats. We were, we were fine. We went to, there were other seats. It was all good. But the terms quarrels and fights actually in the original language are military terms. And 
The second term refers to an individual battle. We get strategy from actually this word. So James is bothered by in writing about the spirit of quarreling and bitterness that seems to be in the church because of the way people are treating one another, which is a reminder to us 2,000 years later that it's not that we disagree, but sometimes being right is less important, less important than treating one another right. Let me say it again. Sometimes being right is less important than treating each other right. Right. Because that's what James was calling out is this tendency towards quarreling and arguing. And again, probably points back to the Sermon on the Mount and says, so you murder. I mean, again, that's such a fascinating transition. Right. And he goes on. There's other things that are here, too. Right. He says this. It says uh, you covet and cannot obtain. You covet and cannot obtain, right? So the approach of quarreling and fighting is unbecoming of Christians, unnecessary, but where does it come from? It comes because somebody wants something that they can't have. You want something. Now, now again, uh, maybe we might think, well, someone has something financial. My neighbor has a better lawnmower than I do. If you have a lawn to mow or my neighbor has whatever else better than me, but this is within the church context. So, right, you covet and cannot obtain. What can, well, here, here's one thing that a lot of churches quarrel about. Maybe more than anything else churches quarrel about, their preferences. Well, I would like it this way. I think we should sing this kind of music. I think we should have this kind of color of the carpet. I have people joke about fighting over the color of the carpet. I was in a church once that debated in a business meeting the wattage of the light bulbs in the restroom. People wanted more lights. Other people wanted less lights. I will tell you, I was on the less light side just because I didn't want to see this up close. But you covet and cannot obtain, right? So, so instead of turning to God, they turn to their own devices. And James is saying, well, there's a better way, right? He says, you don't have because you do not ask. Now, why would James say this? A little context is helpful here, right? Everything is shaped by its context. James says you do not have because you do not ask. Because James loved to ask God. He loved to ask God in prayer. Early church historian Eusebius, who was quoting an, another early church historian whose works are lost, uh, he said that James was actually nicknamed Camel Knees because he would spend, so let me just read, read what it says, translated in English. He was in the habit of entering alone into the temple and was frequently found on his knees begging forgiveness for the people so that his knees became hard like those of a camel in consequence of his constantly bending them in the worship of God and asking forgiveness for the people. So James would be, of course, the one who says, well, you don't ask, you gotta, you gotta ask, right? So it goes on from there. James then shows the compound effect of their prayer, right? It's in vain. They don't turn to God to prayer. And when they do, they know this, right? It says, call to me. We, we, we know this, call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. So the promise that James would have known is just call upon God. God is there. Or as James says, when you do ask, you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. By the way, the word spend is the same word that's used of the prodigal son who spent everything and wasted it all. You see, I don't want you to miss this. Jesus wants to take your quarrels with people, your quarreling nature that you have, to bring them through a right relationship with God. That's where the arc of this passage is going. And ultimately, so that you might move from argument to humility. So let's jump on to number two. We've got a lot to cover here, so we're going to move somewhat quickly. Number two is the root of our quarrels with God. Remember, it's the root of our quarrels with people, 
But this arc of this passage is going to take from people to God. We're going to address these things with God and then back to people is the arc of this passage. The root of our quarrels with God goes on to the next part of the passage, verse 4. Let's take a look at it. You adulterous people. Now again, keep in mind that James is relying here probably on the Sermon on the Mount when he's talking about the kind of adulterous people. There's references both in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, also in the Old Testament we're going to get to. Adulterous people doesn't mean everybody's committing adultery. Sometimes that word's used in different ways. It says, you adulterous people, beginning at verse 4, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend uh, of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is of no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he is made to dwell in us, right? Now, don't miss that, right? Then it says, but he gives, one of my favorite part of this verse, but he gives more grace. Don't miss that. But he gives more grace. And then, this is going to be key to our whole message. Don't miss this part. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Look at two things, right? He gives more grace. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So the, the, the arc we're seeing here is going to build throughout the passage, right? It starts with our quarreling nature, right? And then it goes into the root of our quarrels with God. Now, how do we get there? Well, because, because James is reminding us that there's something spiritual in a person who is predisposed towards continuing quarreling and continuing arguing. Now, when that's there, when that's there in a church, it impacts everybody. As a matter of fact, let me give you an example. When it comes to decision-making in most churches, the most negative person in the room is almost always the most influential person in the room because if she or he consistently objects to whatever it is that maybe others in the church are feeling God leading them to do, that what happens is that person who says, well, no, I don't think we should do that. Other people, well, we don't want to bother that person. We don't want to offend that person. And the end result is so many churches are actually stopped in their forward advance because of quarreling and arguing that they don't want to engage in with quarreling and arguing people. Now, here's the challenge, right? Anytime you have a, well, we're about to have a new pastor, right? Anytime you have a new pastor, there's going to be change. There's going to be differences. And if quarreling and arguing mark the kind of response that we have, actually what God points us to, what James in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit points us to, is actually a spiritual issue that quarreling and argumentative people have. Not people who disagree, right? Disagreeing with me is not the same thing as disagreeing with God by any stretch of the imagination. I'm wrong all the time. Just ask Donna. Well, actually, just ask my 15-year-old daughter. She's an expert at every time I mispronounce a word or whatever, reminding me of that. I'm wrong all the time. But being argumentative isn't the answer, right? Now, let's go back to the text here and look at a couple of things, right? Because it says there, uh, you're an adulterous people, right? Well, Ezekiel 23, 37 may have been part of this. For they have committed adultery and blood is on their hands. With their idols, they have committed adultery. Okay, so James is pointing to this broad use of the term adultery, not just a, a husband who cheats on his wife or his wife, a wife who cheats on her husband. But it says, with their idols, they have committed adultery and they've offered up them for food, the children for whom they have borne to me. So there's a clear sense that James is actually saying there's, there's a quarrelsome, argumentative nature in you in some ways, because of your friendship in the world, that's a worldly way to do things. And when you do things with a worldly way and in a worldly manner, you actually end up committing spiritual 
adultery. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus put it this way. No one can serve two masters. He either will hate the one and love the other or will be devoted to the one and, or despise the other. Or as that great philosopher Bob Dylan once said, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. No one can serve two masters. So in a sense, we can take some comfort that the early church de dealt with some of the same sin patterns and struggles that we do today. Quarreling, argumentative people. Now, I want you not to miss this, right? Um, I, would have put, I would put myself in that category several times in my life, and sometimes I find it bubbling up in me again. So when I'm preaching on this, I'm learning and growing, and I hope you're hearing this and learning and growing as well. Now, here's the challenge. The, most per the person let least likely to listen to the message today and be open to what it has to say is the quarreling and argumentative person. Because even as I go through this passage, you're saying, well, but this, and what about this? And well, you and me, and I know, and no, 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 no. Let the Holy Spirit work in you because as I prepared this message, the Holy Spirit was working in me. James wants to take your quarrels with people, bring them through your right relationship with God to move you from argument to humility. Right now, again, let's take a look more at the passage here, James 4, 5. Or do you suppose it is of no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us? There's actually no specific Old Testament verse that says it just like this. It's kind of a summary statement of things that are taught in the Old Testament, not a direct quote. But, but he's reminding us that there's something, right? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is obvious, is that, that God desires us not to be at war or let spirits of argument and quarreling have victory over us. But instead, and this is where it gets great, he gives more grace. Three words I don't want you to leave today without hearing. He gives more grace. Now, James is the half-brother of Jesus, right? Right? They, and, and here are 2,000 years ago, they're having quarrels, right? I, I'm, I'm married to a saint, right? Uh, we have quarrels. We all have quarrels. It's all for all of us. It's still something in us. I'm in this beautiful building and we still have quarrels because there's a struggle that's ultimately within us. Now, probably to me, the most fascinating part of this whole passage is actually James 4, 6. Let's look at it. It says, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace toward the humble. Let me tell you why this is so fascinating to me. Uh, well, first of all, I don't want God opposing me. Matter of fact, opposing is, maybe the word could even be a little stronger. It's in the original language, it would mean goes to battle with the proud, right? Don't miss this, because God goes to battle with the proud, smugly religious. So because he loves them, he wants them to be humble. And he gives more grace. Well, this is hard here right now, right? Because I don't know if when I was working on this passage, I kept having, there's so many movies where you're watching the movie and there's this, you know, calm, collected person. And there's some punk who's trying to get a rise out of the calm, collected person and poking him and poking. Him. I can think of 30 movie examples, but, and, um, and then finally the person says, okay, that's enough. And the person stands up and they're like seven foot tall and they're all like this. I mean, you're in some of our crew smiling because you've seen the same, it's in like 10 movies, right? And, and, and then you're like, oops, I didn't want you to oppose me. Well, I want you not to miss this, right? Because God uses, the Holy Spirit inspires James to use very strong language here, right? The term opposes, it means set himself 
in battle array against him, right? According to one commentator, set himself in battle array against him, is that I'm walking around being proud, proud or argumentative or contentious or boastful. And then eventually the Lord just says, no, I'm not going to take that anymore. I'm setting myself against you. That's not what you want. That does not mean a happy week for you. So who does God do that too? Well, it actually says he opposes the proud. Now, James is actually not written to non-Christians. The very beginning of James articulates this is written to Christians. So if you're a proud, smugly, religious, judgmental Christian, you can expect God literally to oppose you for your good. He's more interested in your character than in your comfort. He will oppose you to break you of your pride so you can experience a greater sense of his love because he gives more grace. Now, I got two options on this receiving line, right? I can be the proud, argumentative, quarrelsome one who receives literally the opposition of God arrayed for battle, or I can be the humble one and God gives more grace. I choose door B. I hope you do as well. Because here's the thing, I haven't always, I don't always. But Jesus gives more grace to the humble and he opposes the proud. And when we get that, we can decide how we want to live. Actually, that James passage, keeping in mind that James himself would have known the Old Testament well, is probably connected to Proverbs 3.34. Toward the scorners, he is scornful but to the humble, he gives favor. I don't want to be the quarrelsome. I don't want to be the proud. I don't want to be the scorner. I want to be in category B, to the humble, he gives favor. I want to be in the place where God gives more grace. And I know that's what you want as well. Now, again, I I don't want us to see or come to a place where we find God himself resisting us But can I tell you why you need that? Because in my life, there are things in my life that God still has to get rid of. And I'm guessing that's true for you as well. There are times when I'm quarrelsome. There are times when I'm proud, proud. My guess is the same is true of you. And in the midst of that reality, I, when God opposes me, I can receive even that as a gift from God. He's more interested in my character than he is in my comfort. And ultimately he gives more grace. Remember, James here wants to take your quarrels with people, bring them through your right relationship with God to move you from argument to humility. So remember the arc that we're talking about here, right? This, this arc of the passage, it goes from the root of our quarrels with people. It goes on from there ultimately and next to the root of our quarrels with God. And then doesn't leave us there. It gives us the cure for our quarrels with God. There's, there's, there's things that can be done that should be done. So Jesus will bring our argument ultimately to humility, the cure for our quarrels with God. See, we're not with people yet. We went from people, the root, and now the cure. Let's look at the next part of the passage, beginning at verse seven. It says this, so submit yourselves therefore to God. So that's the answer, right? Either going to have God opposing you or you're going to submit to him. By the way, submit also a military term. Like I line up or get aligned for battle. I'm submitting myself to God, not, not necessarily lining up in opposition to him. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now here's the thing. If you're reading this passage, verses 7 through 10 could be their own sermon. But then we'd miss some of the arc of all of chapter 4. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. 
Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, I want you to remember all this goes on. It says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Now, if you have your Bible open, one of the things you will see is that his, this whole section is remarkably like a, a description of proper repentance. Now, again, you could take this out and just do a sermon on a description of proper repentance. It says things, again, don't miss it. Submit yourself, resist the devil, draw near to God, cleanse your hands, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. It's all about repentance. Doesn't mean forever. Doesn't mean I don't sometimes laugh. It means that if I'm in this category of the quarrelsome, the proud, the argumentative, be wretched and mourn, let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom, ultimately humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Now, again, keeping in mind, though, this is part of an arc of a bigger story, right? The bigger story here is the beginning of the passage started with the idea of our quarrels with others. And then we talked about the root of our quarrels with God. And then we talked about the cure for our quarrels with God. So there's something going on here. I don't want you to miss it, right? If you will get right with God, as described by James, you will find your quarrelsome, argumentative nature will actually be impacted and changed. You'll be more like Jesus and less like the world. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And in doing so, you'll be more like Jesus and less like the world. Let's look at some of the words here, right? Resist, resist. Resist comes uh, from two words in the original language, and it means to stand against. So we're resisting the devil. Well, how is the specific manifestation of the devil's work here? Well, we can apply it broadly, but it was in the context of quarrelsome, argumentative, angry people angry religious people. So that's kind of the context, but resist the devil. And if we resist the devil, he will flee. Don't miss that. If you resist the devil, he will flee. So we consider uh, the depths of our sin. We submit to God. We resist the devil. We have victory. The devil will flee because when we have repentant hearts, we, God gives more grace. He gives more grace. But again, it's pretty clear the language of cleansing and repentance even has a ritual feel to it. James 4.8 says this, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I want you not to miss this, that James is actually calling Christians sinners. Now, again, there's a whole theological conversation going on here because I'm a saint as well. I'm saved by grace. God doesn't look upon me and see my sin. He sees Jesus' forgiveness. But it doesn't change the fact that James would write, cleanse your hands, you sinners. And can I just tell you, this is, I don't want you to miss this, right? The most dangerous person at any church, the most dangerous person at Moody Church is the man or woman in your church who has forgotten that he or she is still a sinner. Because they've now risen above that. They now look down upon others. They can do so with scorn or argument or more. Instead, imagine if we went and address the depth of our own sin. James 4, 9, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Why? Because we see the seriousness of our own sin. Maybe you've heard somebody say, uh, love the sinner, hate the sin. Get it? Appreciate it? Get what's being said? Here's another idea to do, right? If you want to live in a world where our lives are not marked by our consistent judging of others, which is the next passage, here's another way to do it, right? Uh, love the sinner, hate your own sin. And that's what this is saying. Humble yourselves before the Lord. He'll exalt you if you take the time to do those things, right? James 4, 9, be wretched and mourn and weep. And then 
You humble yourselves before the Lord and let him take care of the rest. So James resembles a lot of Old Testament prophets when he talks about these things. We can see that. But when we lament our sin and we turn to God in humility, only then will he exalt us and he'll exalt us not in a prideful or haughty or argumentative way. But look at Psalm 37, 3 through 4. We're going quickly. A lot of passages to cover. Here's the great thing. You can watch this again at moodychurch.org if I go too fast. Psalm 37, 3 and 4. Trust the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desire of your heart. So James is just reminding us again and again, the cure for our quarrels with God is trusting and going to God. Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So we're walking through this passage and we've come to number four. We just have a few minutes left. It's the cure for our quarrels with people. The ark comes back to people, right? So we've seen it, right? The root of our quarrels with people, the root of our quarrels with God, the cure for our quarrels with God, the cure for our quarrels with people. James chapter four, verses 11 and 12 is the text. Don't speak evil against another brother. I want another brothers. Applies to, applies to brothers and sisters. The one who speaks against a brother or sister or judges his brother or sister speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He was able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? The, the solution for quarreling, it appears, is to get right with God. The solution for quarreling is to get right with him. Because when we're right with him, we are not going to be those who are driven to passionate about, enthusiastic in, quarreling and being those, those pride-filled religious people. So what do we do? Well, let me just quickly give you some application. You might want to jot this down somewhere, type it on your computer screen or write it down on a sheet of paper next to you. Let me just quickly go through them. You got to reject some things. The cure for quarrels with people, you got to reject. Do not speak evil against one another. What if we just had that rule at Moody Church. We'll never speak ill of other people. If we have concerns, we'll go to them, not in quarrels, but in love. Do not speak evil. Imagine how many challenges could be overcome in your church. Maybe you're a guest or in this church, if that was what we did, how we live. And it was like, really don't say it. We sometimes around our dinner table, our kids, we sort of have a thing where someone will start saying something that they shouldn't. And, 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 and one of the kids or I'll say, nope, nope. And they'll say, uh, nope, nope, don't say it. Let that be your life. Nope, don't say that. Stop speaking evil of one another. But then remember, I want you to forget this. Remember, okay, what are you going to remember? Remember this, right? Um, it's therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Don't miss this. You do not want to go. Lord, I, I say to the Lord, Lord, I don't want you to go to battle with me over my pride. How do I deal with that now? How, and where's pride root itself? Well, we learned it, it leads to quarrelsome. It leads to anger. It leads to division. How, I do not want God opposing me. Instead, I want to remind myself that he gives more grace. So listen, an argumentative Christian is just a proud sinner in a religious mask. An argumentative Christian is just a proud sinner in a religious mask mask. So resist that, right? Uh, and, and, and to remember they want to oppose, so resist the devil and he will flee. Part of the devil's work in our lives is to cause us to be proud and to be argumentative and more. James speaks against it, writes against it. And finally, let's reconsider. Let's reconsider our place and our role in all this, right? It says, but who are you to judge your neighbor? James writes, who are you 
to judge your neighbor. You know what Jesus wants out of you? He wants pride out of you. He wants that argumentative spirit out of you. Doesn't mean you can't disagree and do so lovingly and graciously, but he wants that out. He wants to move our arguments to our humility. James wants you to take your quarrels with people, bring them through your right relationship with God and move you from argument to humility. And then if that's what you do, you end up giving true ongoing glory to God. You become less the focus and Jesus becomes more the point and his grace comes more and more and more. Heavenly Father, I pray that you might remind us today and help us to live and walk in such a way that our lives are reflecting these truths. Help us to not simply be argumentative Christians, a proud sinner in a religious mask, but instead those who've been made humble, who were opposed when we were proud, opposed by God himself, and we might receive that because your grace gives more. More and more grace we receive so that in doing so, we might grow and know you more as you give more grace. For it's in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen and amen.